Hello and welcome to the Jersnet podcast, the independent Rangers podcast made for fans, by fans, and where the content is absolutely free. If you haven't already, please share the podcast where you can and give us a like on our social media platforms. We also have the website, jersnetonline.co.uk, where you will find plenty of Rangers content, including articles, our online museum, and so on. Um, I am your host, David Wren, and it's International Week, um, meaning we don't have our fresh game to speak about. However, fear not, um, we do have an old firm game on the horizon, and tonight we'll be breaking down next week's game uh, with a comprehensive preview uh, of the trip to Parkhead. We'll also look at some of the, the fresh investment in the club as well as um, the club's transfer deadline day activity. Tonight I'm joined by, by my fellow host Colin Armstrong who is fresh off um, yet another walk up a hill with a, with a dodgy pair of shots on. Colin, how are you doing? Yes. Not bad. Uh, I don't know why I'm getting stuck for my shots. My shots are pretty good. I can hear Stuart talking away in the background. I think he's joined us and and doesn't know yet. <laughs> but yeah, I was up. I was up Miko Bin today uh, with my daughter. So yeah, that was all good. It helped pass. You know, a weekend with no Rangers and all that stuff. So yeah, it was good. Yeah, there's a plane wreckage up there. So that's quite cool. I must admit. Uh, so aye, it was good. Fair enough. I mean, you certainly. Have you have you found that the the jeans are fitting a wee bit better now? These these walks up the hills after a lot of weight gain. I have. Uh, well, I actually went the other way. I've I've actually lost a, a wee bit of weight because uh, uh, I started the couch to to five k when we were in total lockdown. Uh, I've kept that going, you know. So I run three four days a week, and I've, you know I've been doing the hill walking as well. We were back at the fives, but that's obviously been been binned at the moment. So. I have actually went another way. My jeans are a wee bit looser at the moment, but it'll all, it'll all go tits up when it all goes back to normal. You know what I mean? Hello. Hi, Stuart. But how are things? It's been a wee while since you were last on, so... No, everything's been... Uh, well, I, I'd have to say everything is as well as can be expected. I, uh, I do appreciate there's a great many people out there who are toiling and struggling and who are in a far worse situation than myself. So to that end... Uh, I think um, I'm coping either relatively well or relatively easily compared to other people. Um, I appreciate that a lot of people just now who are struggling work-wise, um, struggling health-wise and the like. So touch wood, all's okay in that front. Tonight we're going to have a wee look at, um, or a big look, sorry, at next week's game. Obviously the, the first old firm game of, the, of 2020, which... Given it's October, is is quite hard to believe, really. Um, but yeah, I mean, it's it's a game that's 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 uh, been a few a few months in the making, certainly. And it, you know, we know it's going to be it's going to be interesting. Um, but Colin, I'll come to you first. You know, in terms of a build up to an old firm game, we'll go through a couple of things here that have happened in the past week, um, and and have a wee chat about about that. But first of all, you know, Ryan Christie. Odson Edward and, and near Beaton. Now we don't we don't like to speak about Celtic too much, obviously, but 
I mean, the fact remains that, that all three players um, have been in a situation on, on the international break where they have either contracted coronavirus or have been in a position to have to self-isolate. Um, we're in a, you know, three players and three, three you know, first team players for them to be in this situation. Firstly, are you, are you worried about, about the game actually going ahead? Yeah, I think we're in for an interesting week on that front. Uh, I think we all saw uh, in April, you know, with, with, with the stuff that went on in terms of uh, finishing up the season and how it was going to be finished and all that kind of a thing. I, I, I do think there is a feeling amongst a lot of Rangers supporters that Celtic have quite a lot of, of power within the corridors of the uh, the SPFL and SFA and all that. So, I mean, we've had precedent already with St Mirren you know, they, had, they, they were told to find a keeper 24 hours before the game. Uh, I believe there's a route map. Someone sent me it and, you know, it's all this, is it this situation? Yes, is, go that way. If it's no, you go that way. And, I mean, I was under the impression if Celtic could field 13 players, fit players, then they would they would have to play the game. Uh, looking at that that sort of route map, I don't know. I, I mean, I don't know how accurate it is, but it suggests that if they can't field 13 players, then the game can be postponed. I, I have a feeling that Celtic, I, I don't know if they would want to go down that road at the moment, but I think if there's maybe one or two more, then I think they will. I think they, they will be looking for the game uh, to, to, to be postponed. So I think we're in for an interesting week. I'm not convinced as of yet that the game will go ahead, uh, but I, I suppose we'll find out. It's, I, I mean, don't get me wrong, you get the banter online and Twitter and all the rest of it and yeah, like me and my mate are joking about them saying oh, they're riddled with it and all that kind of stuff, right? But uh, it's it's only you would imagine it's only a matter of time before we get a positive case. You know, it's 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 rife through the game at the moment. You know, there's positive cases popping up left, right, and centre. It, it, it seems unlikely that we, we would we would dodge that bullet. So as much as it, it provides a bit of banter at the moment, you're also aware that you know it's probably coming our way at some, at some point as well. So, but yeah, in terms of this week, I, I think it'll be interesting. I think I think Celtic would prefer that the game didn't go ahead. I kind of get the impression they were looking for that anyway when they realised that the supporters were only going to get back in. So, aye, I'm not convinced it will go ahead, but uh, I suppose we'll find out. Sure, when you look at the actual, um, you know, authorities in this and that being the SPFL and the SFA and there's this joint response group, um, obviously football's already uh, been in hot water with COVID-19. On this occasion, you know, Difficult to, to avoid what, what has happened, um, but what will you what do you expect to see and hear from you know the authorities through the week? Do you, do you expect them to to say anything if uh, unless there's, there's another positive case or two? Uh, personally, I just think the whole um, sort of setup in terms of how COVID is dealt with as an entity within football is rather confusing and almost as if it's been made up on the hoof, you know, when the likes of the Aberdeen players um, were participating in something that maybe they shouldn't have been participating in, games were were called off then. You have the bizarre situation with St Murn basically told to go and find a goalkeeper when, with what is arguably the most specialist position on the football pitch, they've got three goalkeepers they can't use, yet they're still made to play a, a match. And then you have Scotland at international level, bizarrely, travelling to the Czech Republic, 
to pay to play what in effect is a third stroke fourth eleven for the Czech Republic and then celebrating the fact that they actually beat which is you know the the, the equivalent of a team that you wouldn't send to a gala day tournament or a, a testimonial match. Um I just think there should be you know hard and fast rules that if anybody within the, the camp is tested positive for COVID, you either say, right, that game is off and we'll catch up with it at a later day, or you say, regardless of the circumstances, you have enough players or fit players to play, and you do the same as what the Czech Republic had to do and hoover up whoever they could get their hands on, and you still play the game. It, it, it's currently it's an occupational hazard. I don't think anybody is going to be exempt from cases of COVID within their 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 squad or their bubble or their you know pool of players or whatever it is. I think it's something that has to be lived with. I just wish there was some kind of definitive response to what what we how we deal with these things, and then you would take away all the sort of angling that well. You know, they're trying to get the game put off. You would either know for a definite the game was off or it was on and they had to participate in, in the game. I just think it's like it, the, the, the waters are completely and utterly muddy just now. I realise somebody might come back to me and say, well, actually, if you look here, there's an article, you know, Article X, Memorandum Number 15, Stroke, Subparagraph 2.4 or something like that, that says this. That's all well and good. I don't think it's very common knowledge, and I just wish there was a bit of clarity about the situation. Colin, in terms of this, and, and this isn't just a just a Scottish thing. I think, you know, you've seen across the games, uh, both in the Nations League and the playoffs last week, these positive tests sort of appearing. Um, when we are dealing in a in a global pandemic like this, um, and especially when you know, what we're seeing as second waves of the virus, you know, popping up all over the place. Is it wise for football players to believe in the, the club bubbles, um, the testing, the rigorous processes that they go through to keep safe and keep free of the virus? Is it is it clever to be sending them, you know, and that, that it's not to say that international teams aren't going through the same rigorous processes, but there's always that travel issue, uh, getting getting to the international um, setups. You know all the, all the things that can happen between leaving the club bubble, uh, so to speak, in the in the international um, setup. Is it wise at the moment, especially at this moment, particularly in the pandemic, for players to be travelling to join up with um, international teams? I think the short answer is no. You know, I, th- I think it's obvious that. You know, given the current situation, you know, we've never been in a situation like this before. Money is, you know, this is a totally new experience for all of us. And sometimes I think, I mean, certainly in my situation, every now and again I have to pinch myself and say, is this actually happening? You know, because it really is quite serious when you think about it. Uh, so, yeah, I mean, I mean, it took a lot to get football back going in the first place. I would make an argument to say if, if you know, if we're coming into a second wave, then you're, you're Strain back into the territory and football might get cancelled altogether. Whether that's that, that's a separate thing, but surely to try and avoid that, you know, as cases are increasing, then you would limit 
the, the amount of travel that your, your your squad was doing. But at the end of the day, it's I, you can say that the football authorities are making the decisions and all the rest of it. But are they really? I don't know if they are because you know we had Euro twenty twenty was cancelled. So how many millions were were funneled into that tournament via sponsorship? How much money has UEFA taken in sponsorship for that tournament that didn't happen? So these these sponsors will be, you know. Chapping at UEFA's door saying, well, when is this tournament happening? You know, we've given you X amount of millions. Nothing's happening yet. So UEFA will want these these competitions finished. Absolutely. So I don't think it's wise, but it's not, you know, the decisions that are being made here, it's kind of like the real life situation. You know what I mean? I, I mean, I think if all the politicians got their way, I'm talking about, you know, UK and evolved sort of parliaments here, I think they would just say, you know what, until this is fixed, you know, we, we don't go out, there's no pubs, there's no this, there's no that, but they can't do that, they've got to try and strike a balance because people's jobs are at risk and I think it's the same for football authorities, you know, they have some, they, it's money that's making the decision really you know what I mean, it's not common Sorry. sense it's yeah. decisions, decisions aren't made based on this is what's best for players and this is what's best for football, it's based on well this is how much money we've taken these sponsors expect a tournament, so the tournament has to happen. So that's why these players are getting pulled left, right, and centre. Uh, but it's not wise. Of course, it's not wise. It's not wise to be travelling, you know, to other countries at the moment, given the, the current situation. But the, the decisions that are getting made are not made on uh, football alone basis. It's, it's based on money. It's based on finance. And UEFA will need to deliver in 2021. They will need to get that tournament up and running. So that that that's that's how the shots are getting called, in my opinion. There's a bit of this, I honestly think, and again, what you're saying is right, that guys, the health and well-being of players has been jeopardised because tournaments need to be played simply to bring money in. But I think if there's enough parties across all the various competitions and all the various organisations, surely somebody would have seen sense then rather than take guys out of safe bubbles with their clubs to put them in an international arena, take them out of that, put them back into a club arena, then take them on European trips for, you know, the likes of Europa League or Champions League matches. Would it not have been a wiser decision to, to have these guys playing a series of matches domestically, then having a month of international football if you really needed that, and then having a month of European matches where these guys could have been isolated in particular, you know, bubbles with different air corridors and all these kind of things, rather than opening up all the sort of portals that they could be going to in terms of airports or aircraft or mixing with different people from different countries. If you, if you took it as a almost like a block booking for these things, personally, I think that would have been a better solution to what we've got just now, because whilst we're working to these rules or these regulations or these guidelines, um, it's, it's a case of, there but for the grace of God. This week, Celtic have to get players that they can't utilise. That could apply to any club in any country. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's going to be an interesting week, as Colin said at the top of the show there. You know, I think we're, we're still going to hear more um, about this. And, you know, it'll be, it'll be interesting to see what the reaction is and, and what decisions are made. Um, I'll stay with you on, on this one, Stuart, but we'll preview the game, you know, in the hope, I, I, I do think, I do think we're in a situation where at the moment the, the game will go ahead. So when we look at the two teams, the starts we've had to the season, 
you know, it's going to be an interesting game, certainly. Uh, what state do you see the, the teams in at the moment and who do you think, now the transfer window's closed, who do you think has strengthened the most and who's the strongest squad? I, th- I think where the clubs are just now is that both of them have kind of stuttered ever so slightly. Um, the, the, you know, Rangers remain um, unbeaten. They've drawn a couple of matches. Um, I think, you know, the first game that they drew against Livingston was early enough in the season for you to be able to make some excuses. I think when they drew the second game against Hibs, there were fewer excuses and more criticisms of how they managed to throw away two points in that game. I think where they're at is that Rangers have had some useful additions that have come in and been utilised almost um, immediately into their squad. So uh, I, I think from that end, even though there, there's new signings, I think I, I don't think there's going to be too many new faces in and around this um, this old firm game. So to that end, I think we, we we know what we're going to get from the two the two teams as it stands just now. Who who who's made the best signings? You you'll probably know that later on um, this weekend. You'll be able to pass judgment on that on paper. I think that pro probably and possibly Rangers might be happier with one or two of the signings that they've made and also the fact that one or two of the people that they've actually managed to hold on to if you look at uh, Ken if you look at uh, uh, Manelis, I mean that's been that's been an ongoing saga so to speak um, out of the two I would have to say I was, I was I'm, I'm actually more surprised that Kent has stayed rather than Morella's going, because I honestly thought that if Leeds really wanted to push it, they would have the spending power to to take him away. I think that he stayed at Ibrook says a lot for maybe him as a player, or maybe, you know, Rangers be able to reject that kind of offer just now, and actually building something for this season and for the future. So all in all, I would say that Rangers are probably happier. But the biggest, the biggest test for both of these sides is going to come uh, on Saturday, hopefully, um, if that we get the game played. But I think that'll be the real marker of where they're at. So far, they've looked, they've, they've looked um, sort of good and competent, and equally, they've also looked um, lost at times in equal measures. Um, I think this will be the the, the real the real tester, because ultimately if one finishes ahead of the other, you're probably guaranteeing that that's who the champions will be. So I think Saturday's got so many pointers to it, it's going to be interesting to see what the outcome is. Colin, when you look at our, um, our away form this season, you know, the, the Livingston game is a blip. We beat Aberdeen, but then the, the Hibs game was when the, was when the chips were, were really down for us. And, you know, we, we played well in the game, but, you know, couldn't quite get the result. Do you think that away forms a concern going into going into this weekend's game, or have the past you know few results and coming off fresh off the back of them, are we at a different stage even from the Hibs game? I think if Rangers play to their top form, then then we're in with a real real chance. Uh, I mean, I, I, I get the criticism, right? The, the, the Livingston game, you know, you're always going to get that. 
if, if you don't beat a team like Livingston. But at the end of the day, they are a, a difficult team to beat up there. Uh, I think they were sitting with six men behind the ball at one point. Six, it wasn't a back five or a back four, it was a back six. You know, and they made it really difficult for us, artificial pitch, which is something that we've consistently had issues with in the past. So, yeah, and I mean, Celtic have dropped points up there as well. So it's a bad result, but, you know, it's a ground that has thrown up these kind of results in the past. The Hibs game, I, I, I thought the reaction to the Hibs game was a bit of an overreaction, to be honest with you. Uh, I, I think Hibs are in a good vein of form at the moment. You know, I was, I was sort of debating on Twitter or a week there, somebody was saying to me that Hibs are only very good. Well, you know, at this present moment in time, they are, you know, they're, they're a difficult team to beat. They've been playing well. They hadn't conceded a goal from open play up until we played them and we scored two that day. So as much, I think it was the manner of the draw that was disappointing. The fact that we were getting beat and then we pulled it back and then when we went 2-1 up, you always think, you know, a good Rangers team will see it out. And it was a, it was a daft error and a, a, a refereeing sort of blunder that's cost us. Uh, so, yeah, I get that there's been a couple of blips along the way, but I'm more I'm more sort of enthused about how we've looked when we've played well. I think Rangers have looked, you know, probably as impressive as I've seen them in a long, long time when we have clicked and played well. Uh, if we play the way we can play on Sunday, then I think Celtic supporters and Celtic in general will be worried. Whether we play like that is another thing, but if we play the way we can play, and to the sort of levels that we've reached uh, in a a couple of other games, uh, Dungeon United games sort of standing out at the moment. You know, we went to Pataudre, although it wasn't a a brilliant performance, we never ever looked in danger. And that's that's another thing, for long periods in these games, you look solid, you know, forgetting that we went seven, was it seven games without conceding a goal? You know, we're a tough team to break down, and when we play, we... We are a, a, a good team to watch, you know, and the, the European results as well, you know, uh, have, have been excellent. If we hit the sort of form that we can hit, I, I think we'll do well on Sunday. I think we're in with a right, right good chance. I think if Rangers can turn in, um, what Colin was saying, a bit of level of, of performance, and I don't disagree with him, I think if Rangers, Rangers, if they turn in a performance, something like what they have achieved in Europe, this season so far, or what basically what they've achieved in Europe for the last couple of seasons, I think they they could get a result and uh, and maybe even a a win that will put a marker down for for them for the rest of the season. I think that's a kind of performance level that it will take to beat Celtic. I also think that's a kind of performance level that Steven Gerrard might be expecting and. You know, regardless of what you might say about Celtic, if, if there is one team that it might suit Rangers to play some football against, it would be it would be Celtic. So therefore, you know, you're you're looking for them to turn in that kind of over over ninety minutes. You're looking for them to turn in that kind of display again, because we all know, having seen them this season, that they're capable of it. I mean, you know, the 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 Livingston game. Yeah, it can happen when you're playing on that Axminster carpet. I, I'd still be disappointed uh, in the manner in which the, the 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 points were dropped against Hibs. I know you could say there was an official, the officials got it wrong. The fact you gave the ball away in the first instance um, is, for me, it's where I would point the finger first. But Hibs are, a, Hibs are a good team. I think that day there was a lot of, uh, sorry, a lot of Rangers fans who thought 
that um, that Jack Ross, the Hibs manager, would be the same Jack Ross that once played fullback for St Mirren in a League Cup final and just switch off and not do his job. He's a he's a different sort of animal these days when it comes to um, club management, and I knew it was never going to be easy for Rangers that day. Uh, but again, the level of performance that you know you're looking for this Saturday is 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 Rangers have actually actually shown people what they can do, uh, especially in the European domain. And the same thing would would get them a, a win on Saturday, I think. Well, just to I mean, if we look at the game in the likely, I suppose, setup of of both teams, and you know, running through some of these. You know, head to heads, you like to see next week, and, and the key battles are the ones sort of sorry that, that I've um, I've sort of pinpointed here. But you you would think that Hollander, and the reason I've gone with Hollander out of him and Goldson is more for the the fact that he was so impressive against uh, Galatasaray, Mark and um, Falcao. But if you think it would probably be Hollander against taking Edward out of the equation, if he, if he is in fact going to miss. Certainly, the training and the build-up, you wouldn't think he would start. So, it could potentially be Griffiths. It could potentially be a jetty. Then you've got, you know, in midfield, you've got Arfield, who's in a rich vein of front form, quite possibly playing against, you know, Scott Brown, and that would be a head-to-head. You would like to think that would be one that would be very, very um, competitive there. And then you've got Kent, who's in fantastic form for us, and, and they've got the boy Frimpong at right back, who, you know, by all accounts is doing well. When you look at that compared to previous years and, and you look at sort of the head-to-heads and um, in isolation, I suppose, what are you expecting from those sort of battles and the key battles in the, on the pitch? I mean, starting at the back, I think we're fine. You know, I, I, I mean, if, if he goes with... Uh, either Balogun or Hollander, uh, I would be comfortable because the two of them have looked solid. Goldson, all right, the, the mistake at Easter Road aside has, has looked solid. Tav's in the form of his life at the moment, and you know, and you've you've got uh, Christ, I'm forgetting the left back's name. What's his name? Barisic. Barisic on the other side. So I think you know the the the, the run that we went on, you know. Earlier on in the season, when we, we, we went you know, seven games or whatever it was without conceding a goal, that shows you we're solid at the back. The performances in Europe show you we're solid at the back. So, in, in that respect, I, I think Rangers will do pretty well. You know, I, I think Celtic will have to play well to, to, to score against us. So, in, in terms of the back, I'm, I'm, I'm fairly happy. In terms of Arfield against Brown, well, we've seen Arfield, you know, before he's, he's he's got the better of Scott Brown on a couple of occasions, so I wouldn't have any concerns on that. Arfield, I think, uh, is is in the, again he's in the form of his life. He's like Tav, you know, he, he came in in that game against Dundee United, and you could see that there was a level of hunger, and you know, a lot of his movement, it just looked like he was well up for it, and that's continued. You know, it's not it's not just like he's secured his his uh, place in the team and let that level of sort of performance drop off. He's, he's maintained it and he, he's certainly one of our better players at the moment. I've got a wee concern. I, I, I genuinely think that Gerard might go with Ryan Jack on Sunday. Uh, I think Ryan Jack's one of these guys that he trusts and if he's fit, he, he goes straight into the team. So it'll be interesting to see. I mean, I, I don't know if he would, he would drop Arfield for him, but uh, I, I, maybe, I don't know, even know if he would drop Davis, but I've just got a funny feeling Ryan Jack's going to 
uh, pop up on Sunday. I'd, I think he, uh, I sorry, think he might start. Sorry, jump in there, Colin, but just on that point, I'd, I would be surprised if if it was Arfield dropping out for Jack. I think when you're bringing Jack in, you're looking at Kamara, or most likely Kamara or Davis. I don't think he takes Arfield out for Jack personally. But that, no, I, I don't think so either. But I, I, I mean, all of them are playing well. Kamara's playing well. Davis is playing well. You know what I mean? But I, I just think he's I, something tells me he's going to go with Jack. And see, right now, and this is this is not a, a, a sort of slight on Ryan Jack at all at the moment. But I think we've played our best football this season when he's not been there. And I'm not saying that he's, you know, that's him, he's done, he shouldn't be back in the team. You know, you just get periods of time where some players kind of get in because the boys that are holding the jerseys are, are playing really, really well. Uh, I, I would maybe tend to, if it was up to me, I would go with the, the guys in form, but I've got a feeling that Gerard will maybe introduce Jack from the start. In terms of up front, that's, that's kind of where I've got the concern because I Ryan Kent is, again, another one that's a player in form. I don't think he's been quite in the same form the last couple of weeks, though. Uh, and I think that's because he was he was displaying his best form and Roof was in there. I think the two of them link up really well. And I think uh, Ryan, Ryan Kent doesn't have that same understanding with Morelos. I don't think... I think Ryan Kent can look quite frustrated when he's playing alongside Morelos. I think they're just on different wavelengths at times. And I think Morelos is maybe a wee bit more, I don't want to say greedy, but he's a, a wee bit more direct, you know, uh, whereas I think Roof is more of a, he'll, in terms of his decision-making, he'll, he'll take the simple option all the time. Uh, I'm not convinced Morelos does that. So my concern is that Ryan Jack, uh, sorry, Ryan Kent won't get as much uh, service, you know, because I, I think once it goes to Morelos at the moment, it, 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 it can just disappear. Uh, I don't think he's in the best form in his life. I think he's giving the ball away a lot. Whereas when, when when Kent was linking up with Roof, you know, anytime Roof was getting the ball, the two of them were linking up really, really well. And I think we might miss that if uh, if it goes with Morelos. And you would think he might, you know, I, I think the, the general feeling is that he's still the best striker at the club. So Atten's, you know, had he's, he's had a wee knock. I don't think Roof will be, if he is available for selection, I certainly don't think he'll start. So I, I would suggest that it's looking like Morelos will start the game. So that's my concern that Ryan Kent just won't get the same level of service. He won't be able to get involved in a game because I don't think he has the same understanding and the same relationship with Morelos as he does with Ruth. Are you concerned about Morelos, Colin, when you when you look at you know his recent performances and the fact that you know he didn't leave in, in, in the, you know, the, the summer transfer window? Aye, I am. I, I, I'm not going to lie. I wanted him gone. Uh, and that's no again. That's no being, you know, dismissive of what he's done for the club and the form that he's displayed. But it, it just seems to me that he, he's a long way away from that form uh, that he was sort of displaying post Christmas last year, uh, or sort of pre Christmas, sorry. And it's the whole thing rumbled on. He's gone. He's no gone. There's a bid on the table. It's been knocked back. Now I'm quite glad that Rangers were prepared to hold out for the money that they want and what they think he's worth. You know, that's that's a nice change because over the last few years, we've, we've let some of the players go for a ridiculous price. But you do worry that if he can't get back to that sort of level of performance, then his value is going to go down. So that that that's my concern. Uh, I mean, I know I was listening to the show last week and Stuart was saying that we're asking him to play slightly differently. And 
you know, so he's not going to get as many goals, and I get that, but a lot of moves break down at Morelos at the moment. He, he, he's he's cheap with possession, I think. He doesn't protect the ball well enough. He doesn't bring others into play well enough. And he just looks like, a, and he's not scoring the same amount of goals either. So you, you're kind of questioning, well, what is it we're actually getting from him at the moment? So yeah, I, I, I'm a wee bit concerned about Morelos. When you see, this will be the weakest <laughs> he finally gets his goal against Celtic. That'll be you know, a typical commentator's curse, but I have to say I'm a wee bit concerned about the Morelos situation at the moment because I, I genuinely believe Rangers felt he was on his way. I think that's why we signed Ditton. I think that's why we signed Roof. I think they, they were confident that he was he was on his way, so uh, that he's still here and not on top form. I think that's a concern, man. I think you're right there in terms of, you know, last, last season you had Morelos or you had Defoe and, you know, little else in terms of Backup. When you go out and sign two strikers, I think you're you're putting down a, a marker as to where, you know, what your squad's going to be. Rangers, Rangers, you know, all the way through with Stephen Jenner, have have played with a a striker, um, and a three supporting midfield players for the vast majority of the time. Suddenly, you know, having two going into into one or three going into one is often difficult. I mean, four going into one just doesn't work at all. Um, and, I, and I think to that end, I think most people thought that Morelos, Morelos would be gone. For me, it seems as if he he doesn't have anything like the enthusiasm he, he once did, even if he didn't look very happy, which he's never done. He still went, he, he still managed to get amongst the goals. Um, and I think you know, for a number of reasons, that I do wonder what threat is is actually there. Whether, and again, getting a, a a big game against Celtic, they've managed to to cope with them, you know, easily enough, and probably know how to cope with them as well. I do wonder if either of the two new guys, or you know, are are more of a kind of joker in the pack, a kind of wild card that might actually spring a surprise. On Celtic, for me, that's a, an area that only one guy can resolve that, and that is Stephen Gerrard, either by picking Morelos and telling him to get his backside into gear, and this is what is expected of him, or to to play, you know, play somebody else in that role. Yeah, I mean, it's it's going to be an interesting one. Um, certainly, if if Roof is fit, whether whether Gerrard, you know, has a has a decision to make there. Um, just moving on, Colin. It'll be an interesting game for many reasons on on Saturday. But this behind closed doors idea, you know, for um, for both sides, you know, to to play a, a an old firm game, Rangers versus Celtic, you know, it's famous for the atmosphere and the and you know the the, the levels that that brings out of players, you know, being in, inside that cauldron, sixty thousand, fifty thousand fans. Um, how will that affect, firstly, the, the game itself, you know, the, the, the experience of the Old Firm game, but also when, when you actually look at the fact that, you know, Rangers and Celtic have have both been playing, you know, with significantly reduced capacities in the away end over the past two years, how, how will the lack of fans affect both teams uh, going into Sunday's game? I mean, I think we've, we've we've discussed this before, and and certainly, I think Rangers are the type of 
team that are benefiting from there being no supporters at the moment. I think going to Celtic Park, I mean, I said earlier on that you know, Celtic were desperate to get fans in, even if it was a reduced capacity, because they know it, it makes a difference. You know, if you've got the supporters behind you, especially in the, the, the sort of dynamic you're talking about now, you know, you're only getting 800 away supporters in, and that makes a, a huge difference. You know what I mean? It also makes a difference to the referee. I noticed uh, an incident, there was a couple of incidents on day one at Putaudry with Morelos, uh, where he had a, a couple of wee, I think it might have been McKenna, I can't remember, but you know, there was a couple of wee digs here and there. You know what I mean? And you're thinking to yourself, sorry, I'm saying like Charlie Nicholas there, but <laughs> I was looking at it thinking, see, if the, see if, the, if the supporters were in. You know, the Aberdeen fans would have reacted to that in a, in a big, big way. And it, 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 it switches on the referee, you're like, oh, what's happened there? So then he starts looking for things. Uh, so, so wee things that are, are nothing that, that supporters take, uh, you, know, you know, exception to and, and howl and protest. Oh, that's gone. You know, that Morelos was sent off uh, at Celtic Park. I don't think it was last season. I think it was the season before when he was involved with Scott Brown. I'm still convinced to this day it was a nothing incident. You know what I mean? He's just kind of backed into him a wee bit. Uh, you know, I think he was sent off for using an elbow, but I don't think it was anywhere near an elbow. But that whole North Stand, the minute Morelos reacted to, to Scott Brown sort of provoking him, that whole North Stand's up shouting for action. And the referee, you know, takes the bait and sends him off. We're not going to have that on Sunday. And I think that's a benefit for Rangers. I think, you know, no no home supporters there is a huge benefit for Rangers because you know, there's no, there's no, it is intimidating. You know, even if you're professional, going to big grounds where 95% of the supporters in there are against you, of course it's intimidating. That's why a lot of clubs, well, all clubs, when they go to these grounds, the first thing that the manager's saying, right, you know, keep it tight for the first 15, 20 minutes and get the quiet first, get them subdued, get them calmed down, and then get them turning on their own their own players. You know, get them start turning on their players, and that's when that's the first battle to win. So there'll be none of that on Sunday. None of that. It's just a, a, football, a football part, like any other football part, I believe Celtic part, it's the same dynamics in terms of the pitch as ours. No supporters. I th- I, it's, it's wide open for us, I think. I, I'm, I'm not saying we're going to turn up there and, and and turn them over, but we've got a chance. We've got a really good chance because we've done it with the supporters there. We've done it in December with the supporters there. No supporters there makes a huge difference in my opinion. You know, I mean, it takes a lot of the nerves out of it, and the, the, the players can just focus on their own performance. Sure, there's a man that's that's I'm sure covered many of these these games in your time. Um, what I mean, the the, the lack of fans will, will make it a strange spectacle, especially considering what we've been used to over the past. You know, hundred odd years. I mean, I, I mean, I, mean, I, I, years and years ago, when you had to go and cover, um, or I had to go and cover reserve games, uh, for the evening times, whether to see somebody who's coming back for from injury, or whether somebody could actually be booked, so he would serve a suspension to then go and have an operation, so he'd be back for a more important part of the season. Um, and there were no no spectators, no fans in for these games. I, I often found that referees were almost consistent and almost believable with some of the decision making because they were concentrating more on the game. And at the point that Colin makes is is right, and it's going to be interesting to see just how 
the officials deal with the fact that they will be under scrutiny and have no influences of of people um, basically telling them how good, bad or indifferent they are. Um, I think what we've noticed as well, not just in Scotland, but across the uh, you know leagues across Europe and in European competition as well, is that there are some teams that are better suited to playing their game. I mean, and I think I, I do think that like so the last game that Rangers played against Ross County, I I could have seen that last season at this time being a game that Rangers didn't take anything from other than maybe a point because there is a kind of fear factor uh, in terms of you know when when the pressure starts to mount you you end up in a situation where the, the, the players react in a different way and they almost become fearful to try things and maybe they, they rush things whereas they're, they're able to go about their game plan at their own pace and and persist in putting pressure on teams and persist with trying to break down teams in a certain way and so far it's worked. So I think to that end, it may even even be helpful for Rangers to be playing without fans. You know, you, that will never last. Um, but hopefully this is a lesson for them to take on board that if they play their own game, they can still win matches without having having to listen to the crowd tell them what to do. Yeah, indeed. Um, we'll move on now, but before we do, um, Colin, I'm, I'm going to ask you, I'm going to put you on the spot here. Oh, Christ. And I'm going to ask you for a score prediction for, for Sunday. Score prediction? Oh, I'm terrible at score predictions. Uh, I think if Rangers play the, 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 the way that that they can play. If they, and I think there's a good possibility that they'll, they'll be allowed to do that because Rangers play their, guess, their, their, guess, their best football, in my opinion, against teams that open up. You know what I mean? And I think Celtic at home, even though there's no fans, Celtic will want to you know, make a statement and, and try and win the game. So I, I can't see Celtic sitting with a sort of four, uh, sorry, a five or six man defence. I think they'll want to come at us. Neil Lennon always kind of sets his team up to, 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 to have a go at us so I think that suits us I think we're a better team uh, when there's pockets of space to sort of get in behind you know but I think we traditionally struggle when we're playing against teams that tend to sit in so if we play the way we can play if we, if we play the same sort of form that uh, we displayed over in Holland and against Galatasaray then I think Rangers will win on Sunday uh, and I'll go for two nothing. Two nothing. That that was that, that was a a long way to a shortcut there. But you know, it's the kind of kind well. Of I'm, I'm showing my workings. You know, you all, at school with your homework, you always got extra marks for showing your workings. Indeed. No. <laughs> so I'm I'm going to go for two one Rangers. Two one. And, uh, and that's that. I've got no. I've got nothing else to add. Really. That's right. um. That's all I'm giving you. I don't know. Is he going to give his workings or is he just going to give us a score prediction? No, I'll, I'll give you the workings without giving you an answer. Ah, <laughs> <laughs> <Yeah>, that's nice. <laughs> no, no, listen, what, what I will say is that in the in the last, during Stephen Jenner's time as Rangers manager, I don't think that Rangers have had a better opportunity to, to beat Celtic, whether that, you know, 
whether that's in, a, in front of a full house at Ibrox or at Celtic Park or wherever or whatever the circumstances, I think this is Rangers' best chance. And I know I was kind of maybe critical of their performance against Hibs, but since then they have beaten Willem Tway and they've beaten Galatasaray and you know they've hammered Motherwell and also get three points against Ross County. I think maybe just now we're dwelling on a wee bit of what Rangers have and haven't done simply because you've got this you know, international break that really nobody's either very interested in or has wanted. Um, and I, I honestly think I think Rangers could, could win this game by a goal, um, be that 1-0, 2-1, whatever it, it might be. I think this is a, a, a definite opportunity for Rangers to actually you know, state their case as to whether they're going to be pushing Celtic all the way or or whether they're, they're flatter to deceive again. Yeah, I mean, personally, what I will say, you know, we've all given a prediction of what I will say is I don't think that whatever happens next week um, will, you know, decide the league. So whichever <laughs> way it goes, I think... You well, know. it could, David, because the league could be over by November if That's COVID comes true. in again. That's very true, actually. Because <laughs> God knows, God knows what what uh, what it will take. To be fair, to to just let them, you know, give the league to whoever. So what we're playing for a draw on Sunday then or Saturday, sorry, because I think that will keep us top of the league. And then you know, if they do call it off, we'll have a we'll have a case really to have it all over. <laughs> to get a handy to his eye. Um, <laughs> Anyway, we'll move on uh, to a couple of other things that have happened this week. But there was a quite a lot of excitement on um, on Monday with the with the deadline day, especially having beat Galatasaray um, a week past on Thursday. I think there was a few supporters were expecting a bit of business to be done. Colin, we were made to wait until you pretty late on Monday night um, for the news that Bongani Zonga had uh, had to come in on loan from Amiens. Uh, Today, uh, the Sunday Mail carried a story which said to sign in permanently if he impresses will cost us around 2.7 million. Um, he's been one that's been linked with us for a wee while. Uh, not a lot, I suppose, is known about him. I, I did watch a wee bit uh, on the old on the old YouTube, which everyone seems to do nowadays, but I did see a wee bit of, of him. He, he, looks, he looks decent. He looks like a, you know, maybe something that we lack in that midfield. Uh, a physical sort of all energy, all action midfielder. Um, but was it was it the business you were expecting us to do? Did you expect more or less? Did you expect anyone to come in? Um, and were you were you pleased to see to see uh, this guy this guy come in? Uh, well, I think I think Gerard had, had went on record saying that you know he wanted a midfielder, and so I think after the Galatasaray result, I, I wasn't too surprised. I must admit, I'm still a wee bit surprised that. Uh, Morelos didn't go, you know, given the, the current financial situation, and not just for Rangers, for all clubs, you know, with, uh, you know, no fans getting in and all that kind of thing. I, I did think that Rangers would, would would want to get Morelos off the books, but it would appear that the, the, they're, they're, they're fairly confident that they can see this period out, or they, they, they would have let Morelos go for, you know, because the, the, the health of their, you know, the, the, the held of guns in terms of the, the, the price, they wouldn't budge on it, so I was a wee bit surprised at that, but I wasn't surprised to see someone coming in after the Galatasaray result. No, it seemed to me that Gerard had been pushing for a while that he wanted another midfielder in, uh, and that's what he's got. So 
Aye, and there's obviously the talk about maybe another one coming in as well, which is a bit of a surprise, but uh, I'm sure we'll come on to that. Yeah, Stuart, I'll come, I'll come to you on this one. As, as a man that's that's probably been involved in a lot of these uh, these transfer exclusives on the back pages of the Nationals, um, but this latest one sees a, a very easy, a very straightforward link there with, with Jack Wilshire having been released, you know, and, and been given, I think, you know, a couple of million to leave West Ham, uh, have his contract cancelled. He's now available, but obviously, you know, there's a, there's a history of injuries there. Uh, and it, it seemed to be just Twitter, social media chatter, but PA ran a story till end of last week that said there was no contact as of yet, but Jack Wilshire was was interested in, in coming to the Angels. What do you think of that? And is it realistic? I, th- I, I think this might be one of these deals where if Rangers were to invest in Jack Wilshire, it would be a case of almost pay as you play because of his track record in terms of injuries. One or two of my, my, my friends are, are fans of Bournemouth. And when he was down there on loan and he was fit and healthy for a long period of time, they were really impressed by him. I mean, really impressed by him. They almost, you know, they got to see the type of player that that Arsenal fans had always raved about um, and maybe then didn't see because of various injuries and ailments. It would still be a hell of an investment, even though the, the, the Rangers could pick him up as a free agent, it would still be a hell of an uh, investment um, in terms of what he's probably looking to make out of it. I still think it's it's one of these where, yeah, Rangers might be in the mix if he's looking to play football, but then again, there are a number of other clubs that would, if they came in, you know, just anybody in the top flight in England, if they were interested just now in Jack Wilshire, I think he would he would look at that or I that move before he might consider Rangers. You never know, but he, he I mean, I, again, a hugely talented player who is still relatively young, who still might do somebody a turn or a shift if he can keep his fitness, but that would still be the question mark that I would have against Rangers making any move for him because the last thing they could do is have a marquee signing that then collapses like a cheap tent. Yeah, um, Colin, I mean, does this does this sort of transfer talk about a player like Wilshire that would be probably a, a hefty financial outlay for us, um, does it fill you with hope or dread? Uh, a bit of both, really. You know what I mean? It's it's, it's kind of like what Stuart says. You know, you, you, you look at what he was doing for Arsenal and all the rest of it and you think, well, if, if we could get even a percentage of that, you know, considering the, the drop in standard coming up to, to the SPFL, then we're getting a player. But you're also worried that, you know, it, it, it comes up and injuries kick in and you, you just never see them. Uh, so, aye, it's a, it's a bit of both. Someone someone on Twitter provided some good stats. Uh, they're kind of similar to, to when we signed Paul Gascoigne, you know, the amount of games that he played at the, this stage of his career and the amount of times he had, uh, the, the period that he'd been out injured and all that kind of a thing. So, the, the, well, you know, we took a big gamble on Gascoigne, you know, and I think he cost us about four million at the time. Uh, I can remember being absolutely against signing Gascoigne at the time for that reason. I just thought he was a liability when it came to injuries. 
and so I was wrong there. So uh, you never know. The the sort of thing that, that Stuart was talking about there in terms of the, the, the pay as you play, I'm not sure that given the way deals are structured now and given that the agents are so heavily involved. I mean, I can remember when Trevor Francis signed for Rangers, I was at his debut against Unfermline and, you know, he'd came up and he was a pal, like Graham Souness and he'd, he'd sort of struck this deal up that you only, I only get paid if I, if, I, if I play. I don't think there'd be many agents prepared to go down that route for their, for their, their clients these days. So I think it would be more a, if Rangers were going to try and sign them, I think it would be more a, a cut price deal initially in terms of salary, improve your fitness. You know, we'll take you to the end of the season, we'll pay you this nominal amount every week. And then if you prove your fitness, there's a there's a, a permanent deal on improved terms waiting for you at the end of it. So, you know, there's that incentive for them to try and stay fit and, you know, and, and get in the team. So we'll see. But I mean, you know, the player he was at Arsenal, as I said, if he, if, if he was to come, uh, it could just be the difference, you know. If even if you got fifty, sixty percent of the sort of standard he was playing at Arsenal, then up here he would he would do a bit of damage. But uh, you're always worried, and it always feels like a very Rangers thing, you know, <laughs> signing big name players. And then the one I always remember is all Lucas Nets. So that's when the first one described him as the best centre half he'd ever seen in his life. And like, I was at his debut as well. He played we beat St Mum five nine at Ibrox. I was at that debut. And then the following week at St Johnston, you know, there was no one near him. Absolutely no one near him. He went down in a, a, in a heap and I think we've seen him about twice in the next three years after that. So aye, it does feel very Rangers that we sign players and then we don't see them, you know, and, and we pay them a lot of money not to see them. Aye, because next off immediately springs to mind. Daniel Prodan immediately springs to mind. And Sebastian <laughs> Rosenthal immediately springs to mind. Yeah. <laughs> I, I, I mean, you know, I... I, I, I I, I would I would never cast aspersions against anybody that did the medical, but there was there was a bit of one or two of the signings that Rangers made. You thought it was one of those wee wee games that the kids have got, you know, operation where you had to remove <laughs> different body parts and a buzzer would go go off if you failed. You sometimes wish that the medical that these guys had actually, you know, gone through was nothing, you know, was something not dissimilar that there were warning signs along the way. When you're saying that about Gascoigne and, and Wilshire, there's actually, you know, not just in terms of their stats, there's actually comparisons between the two of them. I don't think Wilshire's quite um, the, the, the dribbler that Gascoigne was, but they, they are driving players. And I think, you know, Wilshire's the kind of guy that can actually, at full fitness, is the kind of guy that can run at people and bust past people and has got enough speed and pace to take himself away from people, which, you know, Gascoigne did regularly whilst he was at, whilst he was at Ibrooks. Um, I, I think it's a case of watching this space. I, I'm, I'm pretty sure that Stephen Gerrard would know the value of adding something like that to his squad. But then again, why would you go out and sign another midfielder on deadline day? A guy you've been sort of eyeing up since about, I, I think the first time he was mentioned was the end of end of June or something like that, middle of June, you still you get that signing over the line. Do you still need another midfielder? Um, I'm not so sure, but again, it's all down to what the what what kind of deal might be constructed around uh, the uh, a possible signing. Yeah, just just finally, Colin, before we finish up for the evening, but 
Rangers announced, oh, sorry, it was announced in the media through the week that um, Stuart Gibson, businessman based in the Far East, invested a further four million into the club um, through an eight million pound share issue. So he now controls eight point two seven percent of uh, the club, and also Giles Taylor, Douglas Park, and Giles Latham uh, ploughed some more cash uh, into Rangers. Um, firstly, Stuart Gibson, good to have him, you know, investing further into the club, especially during these times. But also, you know, Giles Taylor, Douglas Park, and Giles Latham. How how important, you know, will they be when we look back in the context of the past five years? Uh, and helping the club through what's been such a, a devastating time. Well, when it comes to you know the, the the investment from Stuart Gibson, I think any investment is welcome at this particular moment in time. I mean, at any time it's welcome. Uh, you always look to get money into the club, I suppose. But especially as you you, you pointed out at, at this point in history, where you know revenues will be down because we're not getting fans in, we're not getting hospitality. You know, it's it's a it's a difficult time for all clubs, so it's good that there's someone out there prepared to still invest in the club and and, and put money in. Uh, with regards to you know Douglas Park and and Leatherham and Taylor and all these guys, well, you only have to look at where Rangers were before these guys really sort of got a, a hold of the club. You know what I mean? And it's you know, I mean, plenty of supporters with Rangers laughed at, at Rangers at that period, and you know. The, the, you could say it's banter or the rest of it, but there's a lesson in there. You know, I mean, a club's only as good as the, as its owners. You know, if you get the wrong people in, then it, it, it can become very horrible very quickly. You know what I mean? And you can find yourself looking, you know, supporters looking at their club thinking, oh, what's going on? And, and we're not the only ones to, to, to suffer from it. We've, we're probably the most severe case uh, in the last sort of, you know, eight to ten years. Uh, with Craig White and all that kind of stuff, right? But, you know, there are, there are examples out there. I mean, Man United are not in, in great shape, in my opinion, uh, with their ownership. You know, it was, was, it, was it Cardiff? The guy came in and changed the colour of the kit. And, you know, <laughs> the boy at Hull changed their name and all that kind of stuff. You know, it, you know it's, especially when it's foreign investment. And I don't want to sound all Brexit. But, you know, when it's people that come in to, to a football club and they don't, understand what the club means to the community, what it means to the supporters, and they just see it as, as some sort of franchise that they can do whatever they want with it, then very quickly supporters can find their club being, you know, almost unrecognisable. Uh, so to have people that, you know, you know who are Rangers men and all that kind of stuff. I mean, it's my biggest fear that we start going down the, the, the route that, you know, down, down the roads going, but it's all sort of foreign investment, you know, Qatar and you know your, your Arabs and Americans and all that kind of stuff. It, you know everybody thinks it's it's great, but I think it's I think it takes the club away from its core support and from its core sort of community. So I would always want to see a Rangers man, you know, a Rangers man pulling the strings at Ibrox and uh, I, these guys. I mean they've they've taken a fair bit of stick as well, and they've not got everything right, and that's fair enough. You know you just have to sort of roll with the punches on that, but. I, I certainly feel the club's in safer hands now uh, than than it has been previously, and I think history will will look, will look kindly on them. I think. Yeah, just what I was saying there about the you know the point we made about Rangers signing different players who who then you know were found to be either carrying injuries or immediately injured um, as soon as they signed for 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 uh, Rangers. 
the same goes when it comes to having written stories about investment, you know, over the years. Um, I think the, the probably the most famous one was uh, Joe Lewis all those years ago when, you, you know, it was 40%, he bought 40% state in Rangers and then you found out, uh, no, he, he hadn't bought 40% in Rangers, he bought something like, you know, 50% of the 40% that Rangers had put up for sale. <laughs> and I think, I think at that point in time, he maybe thought he'd, uh, he'd, he'd been, you know, had ever so slightly. So again, um, there's always been a, an element of headlines um, around these stories rather rather than breaking it down the detail. I think, however, currently in the way football is these days, any kind of investment has to be good. And even the figures that have been banded about, uh, you know, whether it's five million or whether it's eight million or whatever it might be, I think the fact that that's almost like fresh money that's coming in to uh to Rangers has to be has to be welcomed. Equally the, the guys that have already there, they've helped see Rangers through a pretty turbulent time where they had to get rid of certain individuals or the club was trying to get rid of certain individuals um you know from a, a previous regime and also stabilize the club whilst having battles um in terms of various other business transactions that, that had taken place. So I think, you know, when the history of the, the last kind of decades written about Rangers, I think um, the current, um, you know, guys like Douglas Park, you know, history should judge them favourably, simply because they did actually stand up and were counted and did invest uh, in the club. And, and gave them a, a basis and a structure that they can build upon as opposed to some of the, the, the fly-by-nights that had come previously. Yeah. Um, I think that's that's just about all we've got time for tonight. Uh, thank you to Colin and Stuart for, for their company. Um, Father, and, Father Jack is a preferred not to be known. Yes, yes. <laughs> yeah. uh, can you hear me? Can you hear me? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, I mean, if you enjoy what we're doing here, please subscribe uh, to the podcast or like us on social media. Um, previous episodes and tonight's show uh, will all be available to listen to on the usual pra- platforms from Monday, uh, Spotify, iTunes, Stitcher, CastBox, etc. Um, you can't go to the pub in some places at the moment. You can't do a lot of things, but hopefully um, we can give you some form of consistency and constant as long as uh, Rangers are, are playing and doing well. Hope you enjoy next week's old fun game uh, as much as you can from the comfort of your own home. Uh, hopefully a, a positive result to talk about the next Sunday. But until then, thank you for joining us and good night. <laughs>